You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Be the Bridge community. I have another exciting guest to bring you. Um, she is a local. Believe me, I am not choosing all these people from Atlanta. It's just that Atlanta is producing some amazing creatives and leaders out here. So I have another um, amazing um, Atlanta native here, Gloria Umana, who is here and um, who is going to really talk to us about some of the beautiful work that she's doing. This is the thing we were talking as we got on the call. Um, we were saying that we live in Atlanta and we've never met in person. <laughs> we're both busy, y'all. We're, we're, we're trying to out here trying to impact the world with what the Lord has given us to do, but we haven't met um, yet, but this is an opportunity now, but I have heard of her work and she's heard of Be The Bridge and she understands this community and I think this is an important conversation that we need to have, especially in light of everything that's happening um, just over um, the last few years and just even this week has been an intense week um, with a lot of um, shootings and just the intensity of this society is causing a lot of trauma for a lot of people. And so um, Gloria is a first-generation Nigerian-American born here in Atlanta. Okay, you see, right? Okay, we're going to talk about that in a minute, you know. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's lived below the poverty line for the majority of her childhood. Um, she lived in over 10 different motel rooms along with her family, her four sisters, and her immigrant mother over the span of six years. Um, through such a challenge and upbringing, um, Gloria overcame homelessness, fatherlessness, depression, and suicide. After nearly losing her life to suicide at the age of 16, after a year of experiencing intense bullying amidst her living situation, Gloria became passionate about fi fighting for those who feel invisible and cultivating the desire for a greater purpose beyond circumstances with individuals. Gloria has partnered with organizations and ministries all over the world, telling her beautiful and powerful stories of hope and redemption. And we know that is what Be The Bridge is all about. She has shared her story to over 3 million individuals worldwide, online, and offline. In 2021, she debuted her most recent nonprofit initiative called Hope Group. And this is a global nonprofit on mission to pioneer a movement where no one feels unseen. By making hope and help accessible to all, Gloria has intentionally assembled a crew of minorities 
from across the country to pioneer this movement with her. The team consists of um, BIPOC people from the age of 30, uh, under the age of 30, with personal stories that tether them to the mission and the heartbeat of Hope Booth. So join me in welcoming Gloria to the Be The Bridge podcast. Yay! See, we need some clapping. We need some clapping music because we are, <laughs> I love to see young people doing it. You know, um, you know, a lot of us, a lot of people who are listening, even myself, like we started on this leadership journey really young. And that's why I'm looking at like just what, is going to happen with Hope Booth and Glory. Like, it's tough now being a leader. I know it is. Um, But... God has it, and um, and I, I I know this 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 work is really hard as a um, as a black woman leading a nonprofit without the what you would say um, uh, the sometimes the 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 money. Let's be honest, yeah. um, the, the 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 seed money that it takes. Um, I, I I think about you know with be the bridge. I started be the bridge with zero seed money. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Lots of faith, lots of support, lots of people, yeah. but like you know, not no one gave me a hundred thousand dollars or you know right. to, to start this, and so I know that story. But um, it's amazing what God will do, and I don't know why it's like that for some people, and mm-hmm. other people is like they have money coming out their ears, you know. Yeah. Um, but I am glad that you are here. I'm glad that you're here in Atlanta and I look forward to meeting you in person. And I'm so excited to highlight your story, to highlight your organization on the Be The Bridge um, podcast so that our listeners can also get behind the work that you're doing. Could you tell me a little bit about who Gloria is? I love the fact that... Um, you talked about your Nigerian heritage, you know, um, as an African-American, I just found out that, of course, being from North Carolina, um, I knew that um, my heritage pointed back to West Africa, yeah. Nigeria, but it also pointed back to, I was able to narrow it down. I took a African ancestry um, test and um, it um, went back to Yoruba. And so not Thank only you. do I have a place, um, but I also have what you would call a tribe, a clan um, mm. to to identify with. So, which is important for me. And I know yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know what that means or understand. I know exactly what it means. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, and um, you know, and all those things. So I I am excited, and that's why I even I wanted to make sure I said your name right because mm. names mean something in the Nigerian culture. Like it yeah. it identifies your space and and and, 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 and your culture and so many yeah. things, and so that's important. So tell us a little bit about how um, um, you came to be. Just a little bit about your story. I mentioned a few things in here, but um, and and you were. You were, um, yeah, I want to know, when did you come to Atlanta? Were you born here? I think it said that you were born here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay great questions. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. so honored to get to be on here and get to just meet you for the first yeah. time. Really, I think this <laughs> right. is this is incredible. The work you're doing is really beautiful and thank something you. I admire. 
Uh, secondly, welcome to the Yoruba tribe. That's what we are as well on this side. Uh, and yes. it is, it is the best. We talked about that from the last name. I thought it was, <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. It's the best. <laughs> Thirdly, we'll have to give you a Yoruba first name. So I'll be Ooh. thinking about it. Uh, cause we got to get you one. Okay. But... I want to see what you come up with. So, cause someone gave me one, but I want to see if oh, you come up with something. Similar. Not someone else gave me. Yes. Are they, your, are they your gave me. The, the week I found out I was a part of Praxis. Okay. And um, there were two people that were from Nigeria that's, that was a part of Praxis. Oh. And so um, they gave me a name. You want me to tell you what it is? Yes, I yes. want you to see if it resonates with you. Okay. Okay. I, oh. And you c- correct me if I say it wrong. You know, you guys, I'm still learning. I'm, you it's know, okay. it, takes, it takes practice. So um, Olawa Kimi. Oh, that fits you. It fixed me, right? I was actually, I was going to ask you if it was going to start with Olua because they all do. (laughs) (laughs) They all do except mine, actually. Oh, really? So my um, Nigerian first name is Fiumfolua, which means all glory to God. Look at Uh, that. Oh my gosh. So it's really just in tandem with my middle name, which is Gloria. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I love that. Say it again, Gloria. Fiumfolua. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. That's why names are so important. And Truly. we can't let people take names, you know, from us. And um, I think um, the, um, what mine means, um, 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 jo- the, the um, joy or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Something about God's joy or something like that. So, yeah. yeah. I'm I learning, you guys. That. I'm learning. Thank that's beautiful. You. There's so much to learn. I have to take you to get some. Okay. But I don't Nigerian have a middle food. name yet. I don't have a middle name. So, you got to work on that one. <laughs> Your middle name's Latasha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't have a full. Okay. 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 <laughs> That's, so that's I all have you to be Olawakemi Latasha. Okay. There it is. There got it, got it is. Olawakemi Latasha. So look at me and trying to get all the Nigerian funny. names. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, names are very yeah. pivotal as far as our identity and who we mm. are in Nigeria, which is, um, I think it's so beautiful. But growing up here in America, I didn't realize the beauty of being Nigerian. Mm. When mm. you go to a school that's predominantly white and everyone looks at you and says African booty scratcher and makes all mm. of these jokes about mm-hmm. being African, you are only left to resent who you mm. are. And so for so long, I found no beauty in who I was, no beauty in my identity, no beauty in my heritage. And it's so funny because 27 years later, I see the way Nigerian culture is so celebrated by the same people who bullied me when I was in middle Mm. and high school. I Mm. see how they are now rocking our music. They're now rocking our food. They're now traveling Mm. to our country. And so I think that's one thing when you are developing and understanding your identity. And I think even like for kids, especially helping them find the beauty of who they are in the fullness of who they are is so key and important Mm -hmm. because I wish I knew then. So I could have Mm. schooled some of the people who were bullying me about how beautiful Nigeria is, about how beautiful it is to be black in America. But I mean, I think that's just the dichotomy of living in a world that is not always accepting of who you are. And I think that's almost always going to be the case. But I think the beautiful part is choosing to see the beauty in who you are, regardless if others see it or not. And so for Mm. me, I was uh, conceived in Nigeria, but I was born here 
in America. So I like to tell people I have dual citizenship, <laughs> even though yeah, I, totally I love it. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> there, I have no dual citizenship at all. Um, <laughs> but so when my parents came to the States, um, it was really actually just my mom. My mom met my stepdad when I was in about the second grade. And so growing up, I didn't realize that my stepdad was actually my stepdad. I thought that that was my biological father the entire time because he was honestly incredible and great and so welcoming of our family um, and welcoming of me. He treated me just as his own. But something that I began to notice very quickly on in the Nigerian culture, and I think most people would probably agree, is that there's a level of intensity to everything about us and who we are and what we do. And so that intensity looks a little bit like striving for excellence in every capacity. So any Nigerian, you know, you will probably hear them say, my parents' dream for me is to become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. Anything outside of that framework is considered failure in essence. Mm -hmm. And I remember growing up, like knowing this truth, but also knowing like, I'm very creative of a person and like, that's not really me, but we'll figure that out when I get older and I have to cross that path. So my parents left their corporate careers in law and in medicine and decided to enter into ministry full time. And this is when we saw a lot of the financial crisis in our family kind of take over. They went from very stable, high earning careers to very, very little. Like I watched an episode where um, Oprah was interviewing Viola Davis and Oprah's oh, so yeah. funny. She says, she says, Viola, you know, I was poor, but you, you yeah. were poor. <laughs> yeah. you were that was poor. us. <laughs> you, we were poor. Like yes. as yeah. poor as it gets. And wow. I think what I translated in that time frame, I mean, I was super young. What I translated was following God means losing everything. Following mm. God means being poor. And I didn't understand why I would choose to follow a God who would leave me out dry. Why would I choose to follow a God who doesn't provide for me? Because that's what I saw. That is what it looked like. But what mm. was so conflicting to me is while we had way less than we ever had, I saw my parents with way more joy than they've ever had before. And so this was such a confusing thing for me to try to understand and grapple with. And I knew it wasn't something I could figure out quickly, but it was something I wanted to figure out quickly because going to school, being picked up at the bus stop at a hotel was getting difficult because people would say the things they would say. They would look at me differently. It was very shame-filled experience. It was really difficult, so much so that I remember many years, I would actually walk a mile from the previous bus stop to my hotel so that people wouldn't see me getting off the bus at the hotel. And I think, you know, as a kid, when you're going through so much of a financial crisis that your parents can't fully understand because they're mm -hmm. immigrants themselves, they're trying to figure everything out. It's, it's difficult because you don't want to blame them because you know they're doing the best they can, but you also can't seem to find the answers to explain to your friends when you go to these schools that have high earning parents and kids and everyone has what you can't have. And as a mm. kid, your identity is essentially rooted in what you have. I, I think that was one of the biggest mm. things for me. And because I had not, I felt like I was not because mm. everyone else had so much. Gloria had very little. I felt like I was invisible. I felt like my life didn't matter. I felt mm. like people didn't love me. People didn't care about me. People didn't 
want to be acquainted with me. And these were like really difficult things to grapple with. And so this spread into years of bullying, which eventually led into a downward spiral of suicidal thoughts and dealing with anxiety and depression and suicide ideation and never even telling any, anyone. I never told a single soul. And I think for me at the time, I, I don't think I even understood what mental health was. I didn't understand like that there was verbiage and wording for this because this is all a lot newer for our society to talk about, but especially in a Nigerian culture, that's not like yeah. something that's spoken of. It's, it's mm. as taboo as it gets. And so that leaves us to suffer in silence. And I suffered many years in silence and I'm just grateful that I made it out alive. I'm only here today because of hope and because mm. of the grace of God, which is, mm. it's a miracle, but I know that every day he is redeeming my story before my eyes. And for people who experience what I've experienced, my hope and prayer is that they would know that this is not the end of their story, that if it's not good, then God is not done just yet, mm. that there are better days ahead if we just keep choosing to live even as hard as it gets. And so that's kind of like my whole heartbeat now. And my whole mission is really pioneering this movement where no one goes unseen. We do it in very unique and special ways, but my, my story is very much tethered to the work that we do and why we do it the way that we do it mm -hmm. as well. Wow. I was, um, I was looking at, you know, some of your videos and everything and it's about, there was one that stood out um, to me. There was a young lady, I think it was in your documentary and there was a young lady that was crying and she said, um, this was so powerful. And she talked about how her mom had um, committed suicide. So mm -hmm. tell people a little bit about what Hope, Hope Booth is and yeah. um, tell us a little bit about the Hope Booth tour and all the yeah. things and, and, and some of the stories that you guys are telling to help make sure that people are seen and known yeah. and where people know that they um, belong. And so this is more mm -hmm. than inclusion because inclusion is, it can be very surfacy because mm -hmm. I can be included, but I also need to know that I belong, you mm -hmm. know, that we mm -hmm. belong here. And so yeah. um, tell us a little bit um, about Hope Booth and um, what, what you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a little bit of backstory that might okay. be helpful. Okay. So I was traveling as a spoken word artist to help churches and conferences really tell the story of Jesus in unique right. ways outside of Christmas and Easter. And yeah. as I was doing this, I was leading a collective of creatives as well. And we would travel in groups together to do this. And in 2020, when the entire world shut down, all of our events naturally were canceled. And so I just remember thinking, well, what are we going to do? Like, do we just kind of, do we pause everything? We don't know if this is ever going to end. What do we do? What's next? What does moving forward look like? And I feel like 2020 was the year of um, those who mastered the art of the pivot. If you can master the art yes. of the pivot, then you survived and sustained even till now. Mm -hmm. And in that time frame, I just heard God so clearly said 2020 was our year to pivot from the stage to the streets. Uh -oh. What would it look like if we you use froze. our creativity to impact people right where they are and meet them where they are? Who okay. may never come Start to a back church. Over. You froze a little bit. You said you heard God so clearly say, and then you went 
approach. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll repeat it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I heard God so clearly say that 2020 was our year to pivot from the stage to the streets. What mm. would it look like if we used our creativity to impact people where they are who may never come to a church again, who may never even have access to online church? What does it mm. look like to impact people? And that's when I heard the statistic that the average person living on the streets goes three to six months without being looked in the eye. And I remember hearing that for the first time and my heart was broken because one, I don't think people know that, but two, what's most troubling is the fact that we congregate every Sunday at church and we talk about Elroy, the God who sees, and yet somehow it is a statistic that people are going three to six mm. months without being looked in the eye because they do not know mm. that they are seen. And I began to think about my own personal story and this reality that invisibility is no respecter of man. It doesn't matter if you're living on the streets, if you are a pastor's kid like I was, or if you are the CEO of a Fortune 500, or you're dancing on TikTok and making incredible content with Ellen DeGeneres, regardless of who you are, you have the ability to feel invisible simply because you are a human. And so we just began thinking, well, what does it look like to impact this space in general. We weren't thinking about mental health when we began, if I'm 100% honest. Mm -hmm. um, my story is not what initially came to mind. It was that mm -hmm. stat alone that really drove my heart. And our team got together and we said, okay, we need to create something that's going to make hope and help accessible to anyone and everyone. And the reason why we decided to go the way that we went is because I remember Growing up, we would drive around Atlanta and it was really easy to find a telephone booth because of the light that emitted through it. And I think that's exactly what hope is. It's light amidst the darkness. And so that's why we decided to create the hope booth. And essentially what it is, we take old telephone booths and we remodel them into these three minute interactive immersive experiences that spread artistic messages of hope and then connect users and individuals to local help and support. Because we really believe that most people are not just in need of hope, but they're also in need of help as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I think our biggest thing really when we created this was just, let's just try it and see how it works. We had very little expectation. We had very little hope. We just were like, hey, this will be really incredible to create and see how mm -hmm. it works. And we did our debut in October 2021 in London, England, and mm -hmm. we purposely chose London because we already knew how people in America would respond to something like the Hope Booth because we live here. We're like, let's try a country that's not as warm per se, who may be a little bit more critical and just honest in pure sincerity. And so we took the Hope Booth there and we were in the middle of filming a promo video just in the middle of the street. And we took off the veil off of the actual Hope booth. And in that very moment, that's when we knew we had something special because the street stood still. People began walking up to us and asking, what is this? Phones were taken out, people taking photos. Construction workers left their construction to walk over to figure out what was going on. Cars stopped at green lights looking over. And we were like, oh, okay, we're on to something. And it was incredible because from that moment on, we had uh, so many people experience the Hope Booth and within like 30, 45 seconds of the three minute experience, people were in tears because people genuinely want to feel seen. Like that is 
our intrinsic desire for every single human being. We want to know that we are seen, we belong, we matter, regardless mm -hmm. of our predicament, our circumstance, our background, our socioeconomical classes. Like that is the heartbeat that every humanity, everyone in humanity carries. And so it was amazing to see that happen at our debut. And mm -hmm. in that moment, we had so many people from all over the world say, hey, could you guys bring the Hope Booth to Nigeria? Could you bring the Hope Booth to Kentucky? Could you bring the Hope Booth to Switzerland? And we're seeing all of this. And our team is just like, whoa, 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 guys, we don't know how this works. Like we just created one by faith because we really believe the vision God gave us, but we weren't really sure how to move past that alone. And okay. so once we started seeing that, we knew, okay, this has to be a global movement. And two, we have to get this up and running. This is no longer just a cute idea. We know that this is a God-given vision and it has the ability to impact humanity in a way that we have never seen before. And so then we went on this mission of raising $40,000 to go on a 30-day 19-city tour across the country. Mm -hmm. We figured if we're going to go all out with this thing, then we might as well get enough beta users to give us all of the data and feedback we need so that we can create this with accuracy. Creating with accuracy is something that is incredibly important on our team um, when trying to see others. We have to know how others feel about it and what we can alter and adjust. And so we ended up raising that money and that was a God story in itself. Every detail of this story is a God story right, in itself. Right. Um, but we ended up going on the tour in March, 30 days, 19 cities across the country. And wow. it was it was unbelievable. That's the documentary that you probably would have seen, which is called Until All Are Seen. How 19 cities. Nineteen cities. I'm you that's, would think you would that's how I know you're done under this 30. before. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I know you're under 30. I'm like, I'm like, my knees. Truly. Oh my goodness, my back. <laughs> It was honestly it. amazing. One of my favorite things we've ever done. I would I would go back. Like we got the mm. chance to go to college campuses. We got the chance to go to some hospitals. We got the chance to go to some churches, some street corners, just all across the country. And it. the feedback was just resounding, but there was a common consensus of I needed this. There's like two tiers of people that would experience the Hope Booth every single day. There was tier number one of those who were in need of hope for the day. Mm. And then there was tier number two of those who were in need of hope to live another day. And mm. that right there is so key and so pivotal because our prayer is that the hope booth would become like a catalyst and a monumental moment in people's stories. Mm. And they'll tell these stories 10 years from now and say, you know what, I was going to give up, but somehow someday some telephone booth was just in the middle of the street and it had the words need hope stand here. And mm. I'm here today because I stood there. Like mm. that's our heart and our prayers that God would meet people in these perfect opportune moments where people feel as though they're going to give up, where they feel as though they don't know if they mm. can keep going, where they feel as though there is no hope anymore. When a church is closed and they can't show up because it's not a Sunday, when they right. can't afford to go to a therapist, because it costs too much and they're overbooked, mm -hmm. that there would somehow be a catalyst for people to find hope and connect to the help that they need. And that's our whole heartbeat and our goal. 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 If you've been enjoying 
and learning from the Be The Bridge podcast. We invite you to join us in this work. You can support and sustain our mission as a recurrent partner at bethebridge.com forward slash give. You can also help spread this word of bridge building by supporting and really sporting our apparel. So if you haven't gotten your Be The Bridge hat, sweatshirt, all of the things, let's take the message to the street. Visit our online store at shop.bethebridge.com and make sure we're spreading the word about all the work that Be The Bridge is doing and will do. At Be The Bridge, we're doing the work to empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. And this work is only possible because of the generosity of bridge builders like you. So thank you so much for those of you who are listening and sharing our podcast, sharing our polls, those of you who are giving to this work um, that's helping us create resources and material um, that will transform hearts. Um, So join us at bethebridge.com forward slash give and let's continue to build bridges together. Thank you so much. Sometimes people um, don't realize that the resources that everyone has, everyone doesn't have that same resource. And it's important for us to understand that. And then the stigma um, in Mm -hmm. a lot of cultures, you know, is different to, you know, like you said, being from Nigerian, um, you know, community, you know, um, going to a therapist or really talking about those things or not. It's like you kind of you lean in and you just deal with it, you know, and that's and it depends on what what um, culture you come from. You know, I, I, I hear about the same thing. I was just having a conversation with Chang last week about um, the Asian American community and yeah. the shame that comes along with mental um, mental um, illness and and, yeah. and you know we think about the society that we live in we live in a highly charged trauma society and so yeah. think about the impact and the effects that it's having on children, these children that are having to live through gun violence, you know, school shootings, you know, um, just the scariness of that. I know how it's impacting me um, to the point where when I'm going out, you know, um, what I'm thinking about, I'm watching, I'm, you know, more alert. Like my mom, you know, will not have not has not been to a movie theater since that shooting um of the Batman in the Batman movie theater because it happened in a movie theater. Yeah. She said it's just really scary. Like she like yeah. secondary trauma from that. And that was that's years fair. ago. And that's and very so, fair. Um, and will not go to she'll wait to mm. it comes out in a in a in a on TV, you know? So yeah. I'm just saying like the, just the, the generational trauma and we carry that in our bodies. Like, yeah. and so I think that's important, you know, in a world that's filled with so much anxiety mm-hmm. and hopelessness and grief and fear that yeah. also the second side of that, there, there's also beauty within those ashes. And sometimes mm-hmm. we have to be reminded of that. And I see the Hope Booth doing that. That's why even with Be The Bridge, where I feel like, you know, we are so in line with what you're talking about. We deal with some very hard, complex issues, but also you have to leave people with hope. And it's like, how do you leave people with hope when you're talking about things that have gone on for centuries that, you know, we didn't cause it, 
but it is our responsibility as believers to be a part of the solution. How do you have that conversation and get people to have empathy, but also to let that collective empathy drive us Mm. towards restoration and redemption, which is hopeful. And so, you know, people feeling seen. um, I've been using this in um, one of my talks. There's this um, Swahili word. This, And I heard this word years ago, but I was doing a talk um, this winter at a school and I just, for some reason, I just you know, there were, um, it was a predominantly white Christian school and there was a handful of kids of color mm-hmm. and they were all in the Be The Bridge group. And there were just few, a few, maybe two or three um, white students that were a part of the Be The Bridge group. And so the, the this group had become like this safe and brave space for those students in the midst of everything that they were dealing with in the school. And I... So I got an opportunity to talk to the students um, in in that school. And I said, how many of you feel um, safe here? You know, and, you know, kids stood up. Um, Mm -hmm. How many of you feel like you belong here? You know, some of the kids Mm -hmm. stood up and some of the, a lot of this, you know, just a mixture of kids, you know, um, from different ethnicities stood up. And, um, but then there were some kids that stayed sitting down. And I said, I said, sometimes, you know, we don't see the people that feel like they're, they don't belong or they feel invisible or they feel unseen because we, majority of the people here feel like they belong. Yeah. But then there's this handful of people that are getting lost in translation. So mm-hmm. how do we feel like, how do you make them feel seen? And so just, you know, you know, at asking that question. And um, so I, I remember this Swahili word, um, and you may know this. Um, and there's this word just like really pausing. Um, in Swahili, when they greet people, um, there's this word sabonya that they use. My favorite. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. And it says, I am here. We are here. Like, you know. Mm. And then in return, um, the greeting is sikona, sikona, like which mm-hmm. is like saying that if if I am seen, then I am here. Mm-hmm. Then your acknowledgement of my presence, I carry. Mm-hmm. I I'm carrying my history, my ancestors. Like every there is hope that I'm carrying with with me, and so that mm-hmm. acknowledgement. Is really seeing people, and I and yeah. I love in um, different cultures how the greeting is different, and so yeah. it's beyond the um, just the the hello, but it's saying I see you, you know. Yeah. And I think this is so important that people need to um, feel and experience today. And I know you've yeah. noticed this on your tour. What is something that stood out to you? Um, on the tour, um, when you like some stories that stood out to you, um, when you were on a tour. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a great question. I think um, even just to piggyback off of what you just said. Yeah, the beauty of seeing others, I feel like, extends beyond just the acknowledgement, but it yes. extends into the appreciation. Yes, and so I acknowledge that you're here, but I also appreciate your existence, mm. and I think mm. that 
that is when we cross over from knowing I am seen to I belong. Yeah. I think that's beautiful right there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just so many powerful stories on the tour. And I think the first one happened in the first day. I remember we were um, in Nashville, Tennessee, and we had, our team was setting up for the very first stop. And I'm sitting in the RV and I'm kind of experiencing mild anxiety. I'm also experiencing like imposter syndrome and I'm, unsure like like is this is this gonna work like is did I just like drag a whole team out here for 30 days mm-hmm. for something that's just like a cool idea like because my heart was like I want this to be impactful not just like cool like I know mm-hmm. this is cool but I want it to be impactful I want it to work I want people's hearts to shift in a moment and I get out of the RV after I pull myself together and in our prototype version of the Hope Booth, we have like a GoPro insert in the Hope Booth that helps us tell the story from a couple different vantage points, which you'll see in the documentary. And I had the iPad in my hand, which had the viewing of the GoPro. And this girl was at the Hope Booth. And within about 20 seconds, I could see her body shaking. And mm. before I knew it, tears are just flowing down from her eyes as she's watching the experience. And I'm wondering to myself, what in the world has happened? And so shortly after we had the opportunity to talk with her and the most beautiful thing she said was, it was this day a year ago that my mom passed away by suicide and her yeah. name was Hope. And she said, this right here was just a reminder that God is with me and mm. he will drag you out. And I was just like, oh my mm. goodness, like, That's when I knew in that moment, we are exactly where we're supposed to be doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. This is no longer a matter of a cool idea. This is not even Gloria's idea. This is now God's heart in action. This is now God's vision in motion. Like It was just amazing to see that story after story after story was people saying, this was God meeting me right here. Like mm. this was perfect opportune moment. Like, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have this this moment, this experience, this encounter. Mm. We spoke to this one woman um, who brought her son to experience the Hope Booth and his name's Aiden. Aiden is about six years old at the time, was the youngest person to ever experience the Hope Booth. And Aiden really wanted to try the Hope Booth, but his mom was like, I don't know, like, Aiden is ADHD and autistic, so he doesn't typically like stay still for long. I don't know if it's going to be the best bet. And we said, let's let him just try it. Like mm-hmm. maybe this will be different. And so Aiden walks up to the Hope Booth, puts the headphones on, and for the entirety of the three minute experience, did not move an inch. And I watched his mom just in the back say, "This is this is not normal. Like mm-hmm. we've never seen our son stand still for this long." Aiden Mm -hmm. takes the headphones off and he says, mom, I feel so much peace. And I just think it's so beautiful because Mm. what people don't know and what people don't realize is who Mm. that peace is. Mm. They think it's just a serenity. They think it's just a calmness. It really is peace of the Holy Spirit. Like that's our prayer and our heartbeat is that Mm -hmm. people who experience anxiety and chaos internally, they would walk into the Hope Booth experience and walk out differently. Mm -hmm. They would walk out feeling a sense of peace that they didn't experience before. And that was just, I feel like a common commonality that we saw throughout the tour of people saying, man, I felt a peace that I've never felt before. Or this hope you guys are talking about, like 
what is it? Because it doesn't feel like the hope that I have. And that's like our opportunity to share with people more in detail. What is this hope that we have? And why is it lasting? Why is it eternal? Why does it come with such peace? Mm -hmm. Why does it come with all of these other beautiful things? And I think it, it it was just amazing to see this for 30 straight days. Every single day was a different miracle story. And it's just been, it's been powerful ever since that moment. And We've had more opportunities to now take the hope with around to different areas and different places. And now we're kind of moving into the permanent installation year, which is this year. We start in August and now we've we've had so much feedback. We've had so much um, opportunity to kind of fine tune and perfect every detail based off of the 4,000 plus people who've experienced and been impacted by the hope booth mm-hmm. now. And so I'm excited to see even just like the final version come about and hear what people have to say when they experience wow. that. Wow. With, um, I love what you said, like in, with this hope booth, you're also pointing people to help. And so mm-hmm. like they need hope and health. And I love that. How many of these um, booths do you have currently? Yeah. So currently we are still in our manufacturing stage. Okay. And so, okay. Kind of our model is people, churches, businesses, organizations can sponsor booths. And then come okay. August is when we begin the installations oh. of that. Yeah, so yeah. people can sponsor booths. Did y'all hear that community? Correct. It's the we only way it happens. <laughs> a, a booth. And then and then you guys find the location that you, you put it in or do can people say, hey, I want one of those at my school or I want one of those yeah. at... Um, in my community at the park, you can choose where you want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a great question. So it's both and. So we have okay. a running list of places that we know, like the Lord wants us to have hope booths in. For example, you talked about the Batman movie theater shooting in Aurora, Colorado. One yeah. of my close friends was shot in that shooting. And so mm. we want to put one there at that theater in honor of her. And so there's several places that have like experienced a collective hopelessness that we want to have booths in. And then there's also a whole list of places that we've never even thought of that people are like, Hey, we'd love to have this at my school, or we'd love to have this on our street corner and kind of just working in tandem with that. It's kind of how um, we've been moving. Yeah. I think like, even I'm thinking about what just happened on the Beltline and different things that's happened here in Atlanta, like, you know, places where people often go that, you know, you just never know like what someone is going through and just, them encountering the peace of God, mm. you know, the hope of his glory. Like you, it's like, it can change, you know, the trajectory. It can change of so yeah. much. I mean, I was yeah. reading through Daniel today and mm. I love it because there's a moment where King Nebuchadnezzar says, when I looked to heaven mm. immediately, my, um, my conscience became clear. Immediately mm. my soul was lifted. And I think like, I think sometimes we think this has to be extremely like intricate and detailed. Yeah. Like we have to not forget the fact that the spirit is already moving. It's already yeah. in motion. Like if we mm-hmm. join him in that work, that yes. means he can meet people quicker. He can meet people yeah. in those perfect moments. And so we're trying to, I think our motto on the team is like, how can we be in the way? That's what we always say. Like every time we set up the hope booth, the goal is let's be in the way. We don't want to put it off to a corner somewhere Mm. cute. We need it to be in someone's way so they cannot miss it. They have to Mm. walk straight into it and say, this just found me exactly where I was. That's, that's kind of our heartbeat and our goal there. 
And so basically it's like an old phone booth that you guys take and you um, kind of like when you go to a museum, it's like um, like maybe like a tablet or something that's in there that's pre that could be preloaded with stories and you have the headphones. And I know we've experienced that in like um, in some of the museums. And it's so funny. My, my friend just took her son, um, her teenage son to EJI, uh, Equal Justice Initiative down in um, in Montgomery. And, you know, she took him to the um, the the one of the museum and he, she was like what was the most impactful thing for you and he was like the stories mm-hmm. like when yeah. there's a there's a um there's kind of like this what you would kind of it's like a, a it's the museum is like it looks like a hologram of someone but they're telling their story as if they were oh, living wow. at that time and so he experienced that people are touched by stories, you know, they are. that kind of pulls um, you in, but that was impactful. That made it real for him that that was the most impactful thing. So I can imagine, you know, um, hearing stories, you know, through the hope booth is going to really change the trajectory of someone's life, you know, that they will not yeah. forget that, that, that young girl who lost her mom to suicide, mm-hmm. her mom was named hope. And, and, but the first thing she pointed to was like how God has a way of pulling you out, you know, and, and meeting you where you are. That was like your yes allowed this to happen, you know, Mm -hmm. with her. And I think, um, our yeses are so, um, you know, important. I, I, I think about, um, you know, even with suicide, you know, being, one of the leading calls among ages 10 to 14, like the hurt yeah. and the anxiety that people are feeling. Like I know um, when I was growing up in school, it was rare to know someone that had um, encountered suicide, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or wasn't yeah. talked about as much. Yeah. Uh, but now this is very common. We have, you know, people on TV, prom- like there's a lot of things that are happening where it's, in your face. And, you know, not only is this the um, leading death, second leading death among people, but then that means that kids that age know someone, you know, that are um, committing um, suicide. Um, And so, and I think, you you know, when you said the average person living on the streets goes three to six months without someone being, looking them in the, um, in the eyes. And I think, you know, when we say, I see you, you know, there's a way of sh- really showing people their dignity and their worth when you acknowledge their existence. So um, someone had um, told me that even if you don't give someone this houseless, um, you know, um, money or resource to look at them and smile and to acknowledge mm-hmm. their existence, yeah. um, is just as important because it could be a reminder um, for them of who God has created them to be. You know, it could be a reminder of someone that they knew that loved them. You don't know their story and why they're on the street. You don't know, you know, that's so true. And I think like one of the biggest things that we say often on our team, we have this motto where we say it's bigger than the booth because our heart one day is that, there wouldn't even need to be a need for a hope booth. That yeah. it would just be there as a supplement 
but we would do the work as humanity to see each other. Like that is our Mm. mandate. That is our responsibility. It shouldn't be left up to a hope booth to do that. But because we haven't been carrying that weight, we now have now had to create something to help do that, Mm. to help others see the importance of that. But when we talk about pioneering a movement, things don't pioneer movements, people do. And so it means us coming together collectively to fight to see others despite the difficulty of seeing others sometimes. It's very inconvenient at times, but eventually we have to choose people over convenience at some point. Because I think one of my friends has this saying where she says, it shouldn't have to happen to you to matter to you. Mm -hmm. And I think the reality is where we are in our world right now, we're very self-centered And if we are not directly affected by something, we don't care. We're not Mm -hmm. moved to action. And my hope and prayer is that it wouldn't be someone in our close-knit families who would lose their life to suicide before we begin to realize the importance of seeing others, before we begin to realize the importance of helping people get the help that they need, before we begin to realize that hope is essential and vital for every single person to experience and encounter. And I, I, I remember in high school, it was during the year that I was experiencing suicidal ideation. It was October 29th, 2011, That was the day that I planned to take my own life. And I remember packing with me in a Ziploc bag everything I was going to use to do so. And I went to this D now because my mom told me I had to go. My mom's African and I can't say no. So (laughs) I remember showing up and I prayed a simple prayer in the midst of the worship. I didn't have a lot of faith, but I had enough to pray this prayer. And I said, God, if you are real, would you encounter me? Because I deeply wanted to feel seen. I deeply wanted Mm. to know that my existence would matter. My existence here on this earth holds value. And I prayed that prayer, not thinking much of it. And as time went by throughout worship, nothing happened. And so I remember walking up to the exit, put my hand on the door, just about to open it and leave. And the person who was preaching stopped his message. And he said, there's someone in this room who's getting ready to take their life right now. God wants to encounter you. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no way, there's absolutely no way that this is happening right now. And then immediately the lies came to my mind. If people are going to think you're crazy, you're a pastor's kid. You can't possibly be struggling with this. They're going to say more things. And the person that was on stage preaching said, I know right now the enemy is whispering to you that people are going to call you crazy. This is your moment of encounter. Don't miss it. And in that moment, he said, Count of three, everyone who is struggling with this right now, I want you to raise your hand if that's you. And as he's counting down, I'm sweating bullets. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't, like, I can't do this. This is too hard. And he gets to three and I open my eyes and I see that there's about 20 other hands in the air, but it wasn't Mm. just me. And in that moment, like when I internalized, you are not alone. I think we hear this, but to see it was Mm. something special. To see it was like evidence and proof that regardless of what we go through and regardless of what we're experiencing, there really are other people who are struggling in the same way. Mm -hmm. And I think from that moment, I began to realize, like I didn't share my story for years. I didn't tell anyone for Mm. years up until maybe like 2018 when I began Mm -hmm. to realize like, my scars are roadmaps to redemption for Mm. other people. Like today, 
because I'm telling my story, there are people who are choosing life. Like I believe there are people who will listen to this podcast and choose to live another day because I've shared my story. And I think, I mean, we see this in scripture. There is power in our testimony and the blood Mm -hmm. of the lamb. Like there is power in sharing your story. There is strength in your story, even when it feels like it's not complete yet. Our story is not ever going to be complete until we reach glory. And so you might as well get comfortable sharing it now Mm. and knowing that like God is still healing you. But I think as as we show our scars, we're we're able to show people that their wounds can heal. Like it's Mm. possible. This is not something we just talk about. It's not cute words that we just package together just to encourage you for the sake of it. But Mm -hmm. like I'm living proof that you will heal. I'm living proof that you will make it through. And I think people sharing their stories is big. People sharing where they've come from is huge and important. And sometimes it can be filled with shame in the first few times that you do it because it's hard and it's difficult. But scientifically, it's actually proven that when you share your story, the person who is listening and you begin to feel a sense of freedom. And that is powerful right there. And so my hope and prayer is that people will begin to grow confident in sharing those stories of hope. Yeah, so good. That's beautiful. I mean, um, you know, having been in um, um, youth ministry for so long, you know, the th- you know the the weight of the world at the age of you know fifteen and fourteen yeah. and sixteen, um, it's like we have to teach our youth to to be able to um be steadfast yeah. um yeah. in the midst of pain you know mm. and i think um that's something that you know those of you who are listening um you know the things that you know we want to teach our kids to make sure that they are acknowledging the dignity in every mm. person no matter what background they come from yeah. um teaching your kids to love the other. Um, that's, that's, that's something that if, if you could have had that experience to, um, growing up, the other thing is, um, you know, as we teach our kids is we have to like teach our kids to understand and to endure pain, you know, Yes. And 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 suffering. I was um there's this um scripture that I just just in in First Peter this um this really been on my heart. I think I, I posted it today, but just the in verse ten and in and, and first Peter five, it says, In the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, mm-hmm. after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. Mm-hmm. So the restoration part, yeah. he will make you strong mm-hmm. and firm and steadfast. And so that's, you know, and, I, and I'm and i praying that even how God would use the hope booth as, like you said, a, as, as a catalyst, as a conduit into that restoration, mm-hmm. into making people strong and to helping people be firm and steadfast, not wavering. And I think um, just at times, that was one of the things that the Lord spoke to me at at this time. It was like 2016, the weight of the world was so much. This is hard work. I'm like, I don't, why you choose me to do this? Like, (laughs) I just like, I just want to talk about joy. 
And, <laughs> you know, and let me just like, I, I, let me uh-huh. be a, like a, a Christian comedian or something. Right. You know, like, well, I got to do the hard things. The I hard from, stuff. From, from working, you know, in this work with human trafficking to this. I'm like, these are some deep, hard things for yeah. someone that I feel like exudes a lot of joy. <laughs> and so yeah. just wrestling with that with the Lord. And I, and I just remember hearing, um, this civil rights leader talk and, um, and he just had this peace over him. And he, it was just in that moment that he said, you know, we had to be steadfast mm-hmm. in this. And I, and I was like, Lord, I need that. Like, I, yeah. need, I'm going to yeah. endure this. Like, I have to understand what it means to be firm and steadfast. That's like, it right there. Granted in your word. And so, um, you know, there's a lot, this is a lot of heavy lifting that we're doing. Um, how are you taking care of yourself, Gloria? That's like, a how great question. Taking care of Gloria. And then we're going to yeah. get ready and question. close in a minute. But I, I you know, because I know as a, a young woman, as a young Black woman, we can put, you know, like it's this thing where it's like, oh, you're strong, you you know, you can endure, yeah. like, you know, all these things. But like there are moments we have, we are weak too, you know, yeah. we are vulnerable, you know, like, you know, sometimes we can put others before ourselves or we can put the oxygen mask on everyone else and not have mm-hmm. it on ourselves. How are yeah. you taking care of yourself as you're leading um, yeah. this this lifestyle? That's a great question. So my anchor scripture is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because I think um, there is that key element of in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. When I'm not taking care of myself, I'm operating in my own strength and my work is no longer in the Lord. Therefore, my work probably will be in vain and I probably will suffer my typical migraines. I'll probably suffer some anxious episodes that I could honestly bypass if I just submit under the Lord. And so for me, what that looks like, I'm a very like, I love soft girl life. I'm not even going to lie. I love (laughs) soft girl life in every possible way. So I have to be very intentional about choosing it and knowing it's not selfish, but I intentionally go get massages because I carry a lot of my stress, my neck and my shoulders. And naturally, I just love to carry the weight of the world, it seems like. And so I have to get massages pretty often. When I wake up in the morning, I've learned if I look at my phone first, it's going to be a bad day. Like mm. I've tried to trick myself and tell myself, no, it's not. It's going to be a bad day, Gloria. Put that phone away. So yeah. now I don't sleep with my phone charging in my room. I actually sleep with it pretty far out. And I set my alarm on like a physical clock. So I don't have to be forced to look at my phone right away. Mm-hmm. And I spend the morning taking deep breaths. I think I growing up, didn't realize how important Mm. breathing was until I suffered several anxiety attacks. And my mom would always tell me, Gloria, you have to breathe. So now I do this really beautiful thing um, that's used in like ancient Christianity, where it's really just called breath prayer, where you breathe Mm. in the name of God, any name that you feel is accurate in the moment, and then you breathe out the desire. So sometimes that could look like Abba, help me to trust you. 
Mm. And I do that for about 10 minutes. And it is very calming, very soothing, helps me center myself in knowing that Mm. God really is going to take care of me and I don't have to carry the weight on my shoulders. Um, And so those are some practical things that I do. I realize like if I'm going to be leading a fast-paced organization that's helping people with their mental health, mine cannot be crashing. That will not make Mm. any sense. That sounds like gaining the world and losing your soul. Mm. And so I have to be very practical and tangible and very rigid and disciplined in like taking care of myself. Otherwise, I'll just naturally like, I'm good at just forgetting stuff like that. And then it catches up with me and I try to figure out why am I so flustered? Why am I so angry? Why am I not being kind? Well, it's because I'm stressed, I'm tense, I'm anxious, and that doesn't serve anybody well. And so choosing to take care of me is, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a form of activism in a sense. It's a, it's a deliberate choice to choose um, that I matter as much as the work that I'm doing as well. Yeah. Um, I typically ask people like, you know, what, you know, what, what are some of the things that um, they're lamenting, but we kind of talked about that. And then I also um, ask people, um, you know, what are the things that's bringing you hope, you know, in this moment, but we just talked about the hope piece and so many <laughs> other things. And so we did I it all to end a little different. And so I don't know if you're going to follow me here. Now you are a spoken word artist. Um, mm-hmm. And amongst everything, I, I think you preach and everything. Um, and there is this spoken word piece that you have that I think is just really poignant for um, for for this moment as we get ready to close. So we're going to put all the information about what Gloria is doing in the show notes. There's going to be ways that you can support her work of bringing hope to the world um, through her hope booths. Um, there, I know that this is not going to be the last time she and I are going to meet and talk <laughs> about this, uh, being that we're both in Atlanta and I have like probably a gazillion, which is not a number, but I have that in my head right now of ideas of um, just ways that we can partner um, that I think would be incredible. Um, But there's this spoken word piece called See Me Mm. that you do. Is there a way just to do a little taste of that? I know you see, I do this to people. I didn't (laughs) care. And listen, this is why I say, I let people know, hey, we're just going to talk. We're just going to yeah. share. And, you know, because I don't want everything to be manufactured, you know. Yeah. Um, but then I just like to let allow the, the Lord to lead. And yeah. just if you could just do a little bit um, just to leave the Be The Bridge audience um, with this. I believe this is like a lament and a hope at the same time, you know, because yeah. lament leads us toward hope, you know, yeah. and um, there's power and transformation yeah. in, in lamenting. So yeah. um, if you could just maybe um, do just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I don't mind. I just don't have it memorized. So I'd, oh. I'd have to pull it up. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Okay, let me try. You know, but I think, you know, I think it's just um, um, something that's uh, a little bit, and it's actually, you have it on, I think it's on YouTube also. Yeah, the video's there. The video's on on YouTube. But you see, they record so many things that um, I can imagine. First of all, I don't understand how artists memorize the things that they memorize. Like I have, (laughs) 
even as I get older, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm gonna need to have to start taking some Prevagen or something because no, actually, no, actually, I mean, I feel like I I used to memorize a good bit, but then yeah. I decided I'm tired of memorizing. Yeah. This is you guys need to just have a teleprompter. I can't do this anymore. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. Too much. Is it? I use a teleprompter now. I love um, it. Because if not, it helps. It helps keep me succinct when I'm, I'm yeah. talking, and um, you know, just even especially if I have to remember a lot of little details. Now, sometimes yeah. if I'm just sharing from my heart, that's one thing. But then if yeah. you want me to repeat that, listen, <laughs> it's going to be a listen. different part. <laughs> yes, it's true. So um, there's nothing wrong with you know a teleprompter to 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 help you know, in memorization and all of those yeah. different flow of things because I will go off into a tangent really quickly <laughs> um, and make up some other things, you know, and make up words. That. Like, right. even when I teach, I have to have a script, you know, mm. I'm trying to work my way out of not having so much of a script, but it just keeps me laser focused. Like focus. Especially, yeah. yes, especially someone with me that can be, you know, somewhat ADD. I can like venture off. I'll get off real quick and don't know how to get back on. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I can see that. Me. I can yeah. totally see that. <laughs> well, I have the script here. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I guess, do you want me to just do the whole thing or? You know what? You know what? I want you to close out with it. Let's, okay. let's go for Perfect. it. You, wherever you feel like, if you feel like doing the whole thing or if you feel like stopping at a certain point, but I think okay. it's just It's really a full funny. story. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. Perfect. Well, here is a spoken word that I wrote a couple years ago called See Me. I remember standing in the background of a crowded room after sharing my story at a woman's conference, and it'll never escape me, how we locked eyes from a distance as though familiar had been found. It was all we could do as the deafening roar of hundreds of voices in the room plummeted over the edge of every soundbite. She began to walk towards me, with an urgency in her hesitant stride. I thought there'd been something contained in that brief glance, but couldn't be sure. She looked like a heavyweight champion. The way she carried those bags underneath her eyes like trophies, I could tell. She had been through wars unknown and still somehow made it out alive, bruised and battered. I couldn't have prepared myself for what was to come next. It was as if time froze in a capsule, begging for reconciliation. And there I stood, heavy, as she heaved her sorrow, arms anchored around me like a buoy of belief in the wake of hopelessness, a stream of pain drifting from her eyes as she whimpered words I could never forget, even if I tried. Thirty years. My husband of thirty years has left, she said. And before I could even muster a failed attempt to dig through the wreckage layered on her shoulders and mosaic her shattered pieces, from weary lungs she unleashed, but your words of the staying power of a true lover has kept me here, alive and with hope that holds me. When I thought I was at the end of my rope, you saw me. You saw me. And you would think, you would think it was almost as if I called her by name from that stage. Every analogy and synonym I spoke, she recollected and felt in her veins. It was living water to her comatose soul. It was the very encounter that resuscitated her bones. See, these are not coincidental moments. These are Elijah moments. These 
are Esther moments. These are Emmanuel moments, the practical and the prophetic, the hope and the healing, where defeat meets God's divine through the passage of you and I to see the one with riddles of her mind left unsolved, to see the one whose heartbeat beckons to discover a roadmap to redemption she's tried to rebuild, she longs to restore. But the unbelief thickens and muzzles her pulse. We have no strength to brush away the remnants of her ashes, no will to unveil her destruction because no scheme, no plan, no man-made attempt can keep her heart from shattering. But I knew the one who could, the one who makes sanctuaries out of shattered pieces. And it'll never escape me how we locked eyes from a distance as though familiar had been found. It was his power within me that she was searching for. And it was his power within me that she finally found. I could see the justice of restoration, tangible in the form of tears, as she wiped her eyes of the misery and fixated them towards the Messiah, the God who sees once again. And in all of its weight and glory, he made me to be a carrier of her kairos, a messenger of her miraculous moments, a voice in her wilderness. Be the bridge community that is glory, Gloria, Umana. And I am so, so happy to meet you. Um, and I'm so grateful that our community knows about Hope Booth. And thank you so much for seeing us, for pausing to see other people. Um, and so I hope that this, um, this podcast will be helpful to someone. That if you're, um, if you're not feeling seen, that you would... Feel the power of the words that were just spoken and that you would feel the power of the word that I talked about, um, Sabonia, that you are here, that you are seen, that you are known, that you belong. So I, that is my prayer for you as you listen um, to this podcast today. So thank you for joining us, Gloria. Uh, we will have all this information in the show notes. And I look forward to um, getting to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much. Thank you. Honored to be here. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Knatzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production. <laughs>